Hello everyone, Matt here and welcome to Looking Back at Lost, where each week I look at another episode of ABC's Lost to see how that episode fits into the series as a whole. Today I'll be covering episode 110, entitled Raised by Another. First, I'd like to say thank you to a few people. First is Ryan Azawa, who keeps track of the Lost Podcasting Network. And this show wouldn't have a quarter of the audience without his kind work. You can head over to lostcasts.blogspot.com for more info about the Lost Podcasting Network. Second, a huge thanks to tscott123, who left me a review on iTunes. He said, what a great podcast. And he added, I'm entertaining and know my stuff. I don't know if that's true all the time. I certainly appreciate it. He also said that he loves the clips and to keep up the great work. Thank you so much, T. Scott. I certainly very, very much appreciate it. And uh, with that, enough about me. Let's move on to the Wikipedia summary of the episode. In flashbacks, Claire finds out that she's pregnant with boyfriend Thomas. Claire goes to a psychic who knows that she's pregnant, but becomes upset and refuses to tell Claire what he saw. Thomas leaves her, and Claire returns to the psychic and asks him for another reading. He says that Claire must raise the baby by herself, and that if it is parented by anyone else, it will be in danger. She ultimately tells him that she's going to an adoptive services agency. Claire is about to sign papers so a married couple could adopt her baby. When under the pens she tries works, she walks out of the adoption agency. She then returns to the psychic who gives her $6,000 and a ticket on flight 815 and says a couple in Los Angeles will adopt the baby. Even though Claire finds this change of heart suspicious, she accepts. On the island, Claire wakes up from dreams screaming two nights in a row. The second night, she appears to dream that someone is holding her down and injects something into her stomach. However, upon waking, she apparently has no wound. This attack persuades Hurley to take a census of the survivors to have a clear idea of who is actually on the island. The census effort is helped by Sawyer, who supplies Hurley with the flight manifest. Elsewhere, Claire is in the jungle and experiences labor pains. Charlie finds Ethan and tells him that Claire is in labor and to go get Jack. Charlie goes back to comfort Claire, who tells him the story about the psychic. Charlie suggests that the psychic knew the flight was going to crash, and this was his way of forcing Claire to raise the baby by herself. Claire stops having contractions. Back at camp, a badly wounded Saeed returns and tells the survivors that there are other people on the island besides the plane survivors. Just as Hurley reveals to Jack that one of the survivors is not listed on the flight manifest, Claire's contractions begin to calm down. They are then met by Ethan, who looks on ominously. With that, let's get into the uh, my various thoughts about this absolutely fantastic episode. Just what a what a pleasure to see this episode. Um, I know that I've made references references in the past to uh, 
this episode or that episode is uh, uh, the start of the the lost format or the first instance of this or the first instance of that. This episode, I mean, this is almost lost uh, at the level that we would come to accept. The the shocking twists and turns, the great cliffhangers. Um, in fact, we'll be talking about the cliffhanger uh, later on in the podcast, but I would argue that the this is perhaps the greatest of cliffhangers in this episode because of what the amount of uh, the amount of things that you know about the cliffhanger. But we'll get to that in due course. Uh, the episode opens with the almost obligatory eye shot of Claire. It struck me in this episode, she really does have amazing eyes. She does all the squinting in the sun to, to well, I guess deal with the sun, but... Um, I think that squinting hides the fact that uh, the actress really has fantastic eyes. Um, it's a good fake out with Claire waking up not pregnant. Viewers at this point are obviously playing guessing games at home with each other, trying to figure out upon first viewing, uh, you know, try, trying to stay ahead of the show, trying to figure these things out. Um, it's easy enough to think that it's a dream, but perhaps the writer's intention here was to make us wonder to what degree the entire show was a dream. You know, if she can wake up as a dream, is it this a dream that they're on the island? Um, anyhow, in the the dream proper, when Locke speaks, it looks like they've redubbed his voice and that it's slightly out of sync. If this wasn't a dream scene, it would be a poor kind of post production error. But here, it just works wonderfully. Uh, I can only assume that it's intentional because, uh, well, I mean, it's a bad dub job, but it works well here. It just adds to the the um, off, you're slightly off, off put in terms of not feeling comfortable in the scene. Uh, and of course, that's before he looks up and has one black eye and one, one white eye. And uh, before, you know, the baby goes running through the woods and whatnot. Um, just a, a very, very nice, uh, nice dream scene. I mean, obviously not nice in a pleasant way, but well, well crafted. Um, when Claire wakes up, it's just a great set of screaming pipes on Emily Duravin, who plays Claire. I wonder if in another life she might have been, you know, a Jamie Lee Curtis type. Uh, it really is just phenomenal screaming. Um, moving on a bit, I'm not sure how I feel about the the act out of the teaser, which is to say how they how they end the act, the teaser act. Um, this. Uh, Anyhow, I'm not sure how the, this ending that they have of the the teaser act out is that she's got blood on her hands. I mean, the function of an act out is to to hook you, to make you sit through the commercial and come back, right? But just to use logic, well, you know, why are her hands all bloody? Uh, you probably could figure out in the course of the commercial break, if you're watching it with a commercial break, uh, that... You know, it was something involving her, her her dream. She cut it while dreaming or, you know, indeed her hands are, are uh, you know, she's balled up her fist so tightly. But anyhow, you know, there's this function of the act out uh, to keep you hooked, to keep you full of suspense. When they come back from the commercial break, they explain it in about 20 seconds. So perhaps I'm, you know, you know giving too much uh, discussion over this particular act out, but they they give you this tense moment, and then how tense is it if they explain it twenty seconds after coming back from the break? That's my only point, which probably was a bit too, uh, a bit too labored. <laughs> no pun intended, giving uh, labor pains in this episode. 
Um, while Jack is questioning Claire about her OBGYN and flying while pregnant, there's some really nice acting on Emily Duravin's part. She's evasive but pleasant. Uh, it's enough for we, the audience, uh, particularly on second viewing, to see that she's being deceitful. But her smile covers covers it up, uh, covers up her deceitfulness enough to to explain why Jack isn't picking up on these cues. It really is a nice, uh, really is a nice bit of acting there. I I can't frankly remember my experience of of uh, watching this episode the first time aside from the fantastic cliffhanger, um, but it's just really nice acting on her part. Um, and with that, let's move to our first clip of the episode. Uh, namely dealing with Claire's pregnancy test. Here's a pink? I don't know yet. I mean, did, did you actually pee on it? Uh, no, just give me a second. Maybe you didn't do it right. I promise, I can pee on a okay, stick. Well, what color is it? How long is it been? Uh, six, 66 seconds. Oh, God. Shh, shh. Okay, there's definitely two lines. Two pink lines? Pink? No, no, no. These are, like, red. <laughs> They're pink. These two lines... Okay, first of all, these tests are not always accurate. Thomas! No, 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 my uncle, you know, we thought he had uh, testicular cancer, you remember that? He did, he's dead! Well, yeah, I mean, no, no, it was like a wrong... It was a bad diagnosis. They walk a really fine line and a wonderful line between the, the tragedy of the moment, and I mean tragedy kind of in quotes, but the tragedy that, that she's unexpectedly pregnant and Claire is certainly coming across as truly overwhelmed... Um, but then that's the, you know, the counterpoint to that is the humor of it, the, the bumbling, the fumbling, the, uh, the, (laughs) the reference to the, the uncle who was misdiagnosed, but died nonetheless and all that. It's just a really, uh, really well-crafted scene. Very, very well-written. I also love, uh, the, the touch of Claire making her bed after finding out that she's pregnant. I think it's an attempt to show that she's continuing life as it was. Uh, I actually had remembered her then getting into the bed, making it and getting into the bed, but she didn't. I don't I don't know where that memory came from, or I don't know if uh, perhaps it appeared that way uh, the first time I saw it when it wasn't in proper widescreen or, or whatever, but um, I kind of wish they would have done that. I kind of like that idea. Perhaps I've ripped it off from uh, another movie or TV show, but... Um, Moving on, in that scene, uh, you know, the boyfriend, Thomas, is a painter, um, and the the paintings are obviously indicative of the mural in uh, the Swan Hatch in season two. Back in 2005, a lot of hay was made of this fact, that the murals were similar. Is Thomas going to return? Is he part of the master plan? Uh, of course, the, the answer is simply that Jack Bender, who was the Hawaii-based producer of the show, and also one of the well, like the tippity-top episode director, he had simply painted both. He was a painter. They needed paintings. He painted both. The end. There was no kind of grand conspiracy to that. I think, too, I read, I don't know if it's in the Lostpedia notes for, for later, um, that one of the murals, exa- or pardon me, one of the, uh, the paintings from this episode uh, shows up maybe in Charles Widmore's office later on down the line. But, again, it's not meant to mean anything. It's just one of these little... Uh, little nods um another bonus of course in this episode only kind of achievable in retrospect is that the actor who plays thomas is also the gay brother who paints vince vaughn in the nude in the moving in the movie wedding crashers um i think he's also in paul blart mall cop uh 
kind of with less uh, less of a comedic role. But uh, it's just funny seeing these. You know, he he certainly was uh, much less famous than uh, than he is now. Not that he's a tippity top star, but just a funny bit. You know, rewatching them, like, oh my goodness, that's the Wedding Crashers' brother. Um, anyhow, moving on. I had a big arg moment while watching the show shortly after this first flashback. Once again, there's more dialogue that recaps important information, specifically that Saeed is gone, but will presumably return. I wonder how many other shows do this. I mean, obviously, I'm only picking up on it because I'm watching episodes with a, a, a critical eye, watching these episodes with a critical eye, and also watching them. Uh, in you know fairly fast order generally you know well at least one a week but you know no commercial breaks no this no that or pardon me no you know we'll be back in four weeks we're taking off for christmas that kind of thing um i i know i oftentimes complain too and i will later in this podcast about uh, people being out of focus um I, i find that since i've started doing this podcast i notice it in other shows too so i don't know perhaps it's a uh perhaps it's a common common enough trope in uh, shows in general um anyhow with that let's move on to another clip this is like a clip heavy uh podcast today i think I've, it's the most clips i've ever done so take a listen then we will discuss still on the bloody island today i swallowed a bug of claire Places from these savage yanks if we can't drink tea. Feeling better? It's just a dream. Hmm. I have this dream. I'm driving a bus and my teeth start falling out. My mum is in the back eating biscuits. Everything smells of bacon. It's weird. Because I don't wake up screaming. I'm all right, Charlie. Mm. No, of course you are. Great use of humor in there. I, I love it when they go to Dominic Monaghan for, uh, for some of the comedic stuff because he's funny, but he's also so heartfelt as a character in general, but particularly dealing with Claire. There's just this wonderful, um, paternal, quasi-romantic... Uh, uh, thing that's tugging him towards wanting to help Claire. Uh, perhaps it's a, a remnant of the British Empire type thing, uh, you know, as references made there to the T. But uh, it's just, it's, I, I love the character of Charlie so much, as I've said before. Um, here he's just, I mean, if you want to put a negative spin on it, he's once again desiring to be accepted. Uh, he just wants to be let in by someone uh, if it's not adoring fans, it's Locke or Jack. Uh, now it's he. He wants to be let in in a, in a certain way in a in a um, relationship sense um, to uh, with Claire. He, I don't know, he's just so, as I said, so heartfelt, so earnest, so wonderful. Ah, Charlie, you were killed off too soon. Uh, side note: in this scene, um, it's worth mentioning that Charlie's shoulders were perfectly in focus. His head, not so much. Oh, well, I won't go on that too much. Um, there's more in, the, in this episode of just that this artful, quiet introduction of Ethan. His first appearance in this episode is when Claire claims that she's been attacked by someone coming for her baby shortly after her second dream. 
he he appears kind of in the in the crowd that comes uh, to to her aid in the caves. Is he? In, you know, here she's making this claim. Is he a new face? No, he was introduced last week as Ethan, the survivor. He's just one of those newer extras who talk sometimes. You know, we feel as we're viewing this for the first time, we would never suspect him. It's just it's 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 a genius thing that they did to know that that there's going to be this cliffhanger at the end of this episode where he's introduced as the other, the baddie, etc. All you do is plop him in the background for a couple lines. Uh, last week, give him, uh, you know, put him in the golf scene without dialogue. And even if you're playing along at home to figure out all these mysteries, you wouldn't, you wouldn't suspect it. It's just another guy. And in fact, the fact that he's less memorable than uh, the guy last week who had the hives, it's just like, oh, yeah, we saw him. It's, it, it, smooths him in so wonderfully it's just just a genius move um by the way as a side note it's interesting that jack doesn't inspect claire's belly after her claim that she was attacked now it might have happened off camera or whatnot but uh you know just way to go jack good good bit of doctoring there um anyhow i will we'll we'll discuss uh the the reality or the unreality of her dream or not dream uh, in a little bit but first uh one of the one of the <laughs> the cornerstones to this episode is the census and uh here's a clip about it we hooked around the entire perimeter man we saw or heard anything uh-uh nada everyone was asleep so i had an idea i'm out here looking for some psycho with scott and steve right and i'm realizing who the hell are scott and steve I'm not following you. Look, if I was a cop and some woman got attacked, we'd canvas, right? Knock on doors, find witnesses. But we didn't even have doors. Really, you're not helping me understand where Look, you're... we don't know who's living here and who's still at the beach. I mean, we didn't even know each other. My name isn't Hurley. It's Hugo Reyes. Hurley's just a nickname I have, all right? Why? I'm not telling. The point is, we gotta find out who everyone is. You wanna start a census? Yeah, registry, you know, names, what people look like, who's related to who. I mean, we start laying down the law, maybe people stop attacking each other. And it seems like someone's getting punched or stabbed or something every other day here. We gotta find out who did this to her. Here, once again, we see Hurley demonstrating the, the big picture thinking that supports his becoming the island's protector in, in season six. He's just simply looking ahead. It's 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 a great uh, it's a great touch. No one is saying what's the big picture here. Everyone's tending to the immediacy uh, of of Claire's uh, attack condition. You know, however it's being perceived. Um, but here's Hurley thinking. You know, uh, thinking big picture while Jack looks at day to day. Hurley's. Looking at uh, looking at their their long term uh, situation. Anyhow, um, we talk each week about how uh, little seeds are planted for future episodes. Thomas makes a little reference to Claire's daddy abandonment issues uh, in this episode, and I mean, it, as I recall, it's season three when her father Christian Shepherd is revealed, um, and, and all those mysteries. So I wouldn't necessarily call it a I mean, it's not a seed that needed to be uh, uh, to be grown, so to speak. If it was just, you know, her father abandoned her and, and that's that, it, it could have been um, a, a passing reference. But uh, 
it's a seed that they go back and harvest nonetheless, just to keep the metaphor going. Um, and with that, continuing this clip fest, apparently, it was just such a rich episode. I couldn't help, <laughs> I couldn't help uh, doing all these clips. I'm sure some listeners are happy to hear less me and more clips. But um, anyhow, this next clip certainly is important an important one because uh, it'll let us discuss Claire's perceptions of what's going on. So take a listen. What? I'm not sure anything actually happened. Wait, what? Claire told Michael and I that this attacker tried to inject her with something. But there was no mark on her stomach. She wakes up two nights in a row screaming. The first time, she was sleepwalking. You think she's making this up? She was terrified, Look, she said that the guy was trying to hurt her baby. Why would someone do that now with all of us sleeping 20 feet away? Do you think she's lying? No. Pregnant women have extremely lucid... Lucid. These are textbook anxiety nights. You know everything that's going on with everyone. Hey. So nothing happened to Claire, Jack? You're sure of that? He claims to have looked her over. As I said before, did he look her over? Was it off camera? I mean, at any rate, it's probably safe to assume that Ethan was indeed trying to inspect Claire. Uh, I, I mean, we know that there's that interest. Ethan then uh, uh, um, abducts her. And then there's the season two episode, I believe it's entitled Maternity Leave, uh, where her the, the time that she spends missing um, from season one is then... Uh, Flashbacked upon? I don't know. Can one say flashbacked? Uh, but anyhow, they do a flashback to cover that time. And of course, there's the whole interest of the others in uh, maternity and reproduction and the fact that babies can't be uh, conceived and born on the island and all of that. But uh, I mean, here we have just Jack blowing it off entirely. Jack, I, I wonder too if there's even sort of a, uh, a uh, misogynist or a feminist reading of this that, you know, Jack is just saying, uh, you know, don't believe the pregnant woman. She's, you know, it's it's those pregnant uterus estrogen things that one can't really know. So we're just going to dismiss it as uh, hysteria and uh, female hysteria and lock her up in the room and uh, let her do that baby thing. And then the stork will come. You know, I mean, it's, it's, that's kind of where Jack is coming from. And it's like, I've said each week and I hope... Uh, I'm sure there's somebody who's listening to this who's listening to a whole bunch of episodes in a row, so I'm probably really repeating myself, but Jack is so often wrong. Jack is wrong about this. Even if Claire wasn't truly, literally attacked by Ethan, the interest is there from Ethan in her and the fact that she's pregnant, and Jack's just blowing it off entirely. It, it, if Claire's dreams are only coming from a place of some sort of subconscious picking up on uh, on on cues and whatnot from Ethan looking at her, kind of a la the, the show Lie to Me, you know, some of these subtle facial gestures that we're not aware of but we can pick up on a, on a subconscious level. If only Claire's dreams are coming from some of those cues that Ethan is giving her creepy looks that she's not quite aware of, then, then there still is a problem. Um, but luckily we have Jack to say, oh, it's, it's pregnancy, it's hysteria, it's, it's the woman lady parts thing and we we needn't worry charlie uh and kate as dutiful uh, uh romantic hopeful to shut charlie up and to well at the very least to wrap up the uh the scene and too much discussion there um but let's move on let's move on to one of the uh, great uh the great moments of the show or at least maybe it's not the great moment of the show but this is an ethan episode in retrospect and uh, here's a clip here that uh, really, well, that will be worth some wonderful discussion. Take a listen. 
name's Lance, right? Ethan. Dude, that's right. Lance, little skinny guy with glasses and red hair. I can see how you'd confuse us. Sorry, dude. Lots of names and faces. Pretty pathetic, huh? I think after a couple weeks on the island with the same people, we'd all know each other. Yeah, you're right. You would think so. So uh, we're doing this list. You know, survivors, names, home addresses, stuff like that. Okay, well, you already have my name. Or not Lance. Definitely not. Uh, last name? Rom. Rom, R-O-M? That's right. Great. Where are you from, Ethan Rom? Ontario. Right on. Love Canada. Great, uh... <laughs> Why don't you do it? Thanks for your time, dude. Hey, what's this for? Oh, it's nothing. Just, uh, you know, thought it'd be a good idea. That clip is a perfect example of what this podcast is about. Ethan has such a stony sound to his voice. It just screams out to you only once you know the truth about Ethan. Uh, simultaneously, it's just so underplayed for first-time viewers. Uh, I mean, you go back and listen, and you just hear him putting up a little bit of a wall in his voice. You hear him trying to determine uh, why Hurley is is asking this, and of course he doesn't get uh, the clear answer from Hurley. We're doing a census, so everybody knows uh, who everybody else is. We're comparing it against the flight manifest. There's none of that. It's just, you know, oh, I thought it was a good idea. Well, how, as an other who's the secret plant in the group, how are you going to uh, battle against that? You know, the, the big goofy guy comes up to you and says, what's your name? Okay, cool. Just thought it was a good idea to make sure I knew what your name was or double-check names. It's... it's uh, it's just great. It's <laughs> you wonder what the alternative would have been had Hurley said, uh, "Yeah, you know, it's census, blah blah blah." Ethan would have said, "Oh, okay, great. Here, let me show you something. Break your neck." The end of of Hurley. Um, it's 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 just so so nicely well done. Um, moving on yet again to another clip. My goodness, this is like a bunch of clips in a row here. Um, there's the great warning from this episode, one that would uh, echo down through through the ages, through the seasons of Lost. So take a listen. I can tell you, this is important. Okay. It is crucial that you, yourself, raise this child. You mean with Thomas? Is it easy? Uh, the father of this child will play no part in his life, nor yours. So what exactly are you saying? This child, parented by anyone else, anyone other than you. Danger surrounds this baby. Danger? Your nature, your spirit, your goodness must be an influence in the development of this child. Look, if, if Thomas and I don't you know, get back together, I'm putting this baby up for adoption. I just wanted to find out what would give the baby the happiest life. There is no happy life. Not for this child, not without you. I, I don't think... There, there that... can't be another. You mustn't allow another to raise your baby. Okay, great. Um, thanks for taking my 200. No, 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 take it. This little thing. I am begging you just to consider. I can't raise this child by myself. You have to listen to me. Okay, thanks for your time and my money. Miss Littleton, please. The baby needs your protection. So obviously, the big uh, the big takeaway from that warning is that uh, is that it refers to Claire's abduction by the others. Uh, I 
other people well before me have made the connection that to say um, your child must not be raised by another, A-N-O-T-H-E-R, can also be interpreted as an space other. Your child must not be raised by an other, as uh, we see, uh, well, is is one of the objectives of the others, all their interest in uh, babies and pregnancy and all that. I wonder, too, how that line plays with Kate taking Aaron down the line. Uh, I mean, certainly when you think Crazy Claire in uh, in uh, seasons five and six, or I guess she's not really in season five, as I recall. Maybe it just as a in an episode or two, but certainly the crazy hair, living with the 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 crazy uh, baby that's bundle of sticks and and uh, fur and whatnot, and her hair all matted and all that. Um, certainly, you know, being being separated from Aaron. Uh, is a driving force for her and um, obviously everyone everyone being Kate and, and Jack uh, Kate probably to the greatest degree uh, recognized that uh, indeed Aaron must not be raised by another that he must be with his mother um, it's just, I, I suppose too the line is open enough uh, that uh, it can be the others it could be Kate it can just be a general warning uh, I know that in um, in a later episode, the question mark episode, the episode entitled "Question Mark," the you know, the symbol, uh, when the um, when the psychic character returns, he makes reference, to, or he I think he calls himself a fraud, and then there's a deleted scene where he admits that this whole business to get Claire on the plane was a was a scam, um, a scam to to have an adoption happen, not a scam to uh, to. Uh, well, whatever else. Uh, I don't know. I mean, despite the fact that um, Little Off and Cuse have said that they treat the psychic as as uh, a scam artist and not as a true psychic, I mean, to me, there's enough bits there where, where there's at least the question. I mean, is it possible that he's both a psychic and a scam artist? Uh, is it possible that he has some basic psychic abilities that maybe he's not even aware of, that he's just... Uh, picking up on cues and whatnot to tell people what they want to hear, but that that the you know he is tapping into some larger uh, psychic river or this sort of thing. Uh, I I don't know. I, mean, I, I think prevailing opinion out amongst the lost community would be that he is uh, a fraud, and any uh, any uh, similarities or coincidences or, or or just just that without any uh, real hint. To me, I don't know. I I, I buy him as having some sort of um, psychic ability. Um, anyhow, moving on, we've discussed in previous episodes how, um, people are just mean to Sawyer. I mean, yes, he kind of puts up this front, but people will, uh, let's see, Jack went into, uh, into Sawyer's, uh, little, uh, I was gonna say cave, but his kind of shelter area, his, his tent area, and, um, went, uh, in previous episodes, went rifling through to get Shannon's inhaler and this and that, and no one ever says, Directly to Sawyer, may I have this? I see that you have it. No one says. No one uh, says. Well, we're going to have some sort of discussion here. To you know, well, you don't want to give it over. Well, let's barter here. Suppose I give you a fish. Suppose this. Suppose that. Um, in this episode, though, Hurley does just that. Hurley, the kind person, the kindest person on the show. Hurley, the one who, once again, to me, this is an example of him being a being a thoughtful, kind leader. He's not going to go in there 
you know, guns a-blazing or ready to fist fight, as Jack does, he's going to go in there and, well, take a listen and you shall see. Or hear. <laughs> I'm just going to lay it out straight. Okay, you do that. I hear you had the flight manifest and I need it. Why don't you give it to me? That's so. Now, you could do what you normally do when someone asks for something. Tell me to screw off. Screw off? Or you could just give it to me. Because, dude, you could use the points. Well, gosh, you sure know how to butter a man up, Stay Puff. It's a gift. Manifest in a brown suitcase. This may be the first time that someone has spoken kindly to Sawyer. Somebody has leveled with him and somebody has asked him for something, not demanded, not uh, you know, been, been mean in any way. Hurley sits down, makes the case, recognizes that it's in Sawyer's possession, doesn't get into some sort of discussion about... Uh, the, the rights of the one versus the rights of the community. He just says, you have it. I would like it. Here's why it's beneficial for you to simply hand it over without any discussion. Uh, why does this work? It works because they treat, or not they, because uh, Hurley treats Sawyer like a decent human being. That, as soon as Sawyer is treated like a decent human being, he gives it over. He helps out the group. To help out, you know, with the, with the the objective to help out the group, I don't even know that. I think somebody comes along and says, "You have something. I need it more than you do. Can I please have it?" And he says, "Thank you for the please. Here you go." Um, also, as a side note, <laughs> I love the fact that they both acknowledge oh, by by Hurley saying, you, know, "You could tell me to screw off," and Sawyer says, "Screw off." I love that they're acknowledging, um, you know, a they're on broadcast TV. It's an eight o'clock time slot. Uh, B, Hurley, I can't imagine ever using curse words. Um, it, it's just all there where they can they can acknowledge that Sawyer wouldn't say screw off. Sawyer would say something else. Um, but Hurley wouldn't, and ABC wouldn't want anybody to say it anyway. So it, it's a nice little way to tackle the fact that you're not on HBO and you can't uh, allow Sawyer to speak the way he actually would in real life. Um, moving on, there's, but I mean, basically every week here on the podcast, uh, there's there's a discussion about the Michael Giacchino music, and it's just played to perfection uh, in this next clip, which uh, starts out with a little bit of dialogue, which I'll discuss, and then I'll just uh, let the music play while I uh, discuss further. So take a listen. Do you know uh, "Catch a Falling Star"? It's a song like a lullaby. Catch a falling star and put it in your pocket. My dad used to sing that to me when I was little. Do you think you could sing it to the baby once in a while? Of course. There's kind of the, the smallness in Claire's voice. Here she is about to give up uh, the baby. And um, then we have this business where the pen isn't working. The music is adding this uh, tenderness with her decision. Then there's this soft urgency. 
as it, it seems fate, and probably it's just coincidence, but as it seems that fate is slowly pulling her to change her mind. Um, it's this moment, obviously, in her life that's so pivotal. We know how it ends in that she's not going to give up the baby because obviously she's pregnant uh, on island. But it's just, there's this, the show stops so that we can experience this moment with her as it's happening without any thought to to the fact that we know how it's going to end up, that she's not going to give up the baby and give birth in Sydney and that's it, you know. It's, it's... It's the show at its best in many ways. The, you know, there's there's the, the the tricks of cliffhangers and all that. The show is about the drama of these people. The central drama to her life at this point is the baby and her pregnancy and the uncertainty of it. Uh, especially, let's say, in these these flash this flashback story. It um, it's just it's so tenderly well done. Um. And speaking of Claire, uh, there's kind of the rule of threes in literature, right? You know, things happen three times. Uh, you get three warnings. There's three chances, et cetera, et cetera. It's just kind of part of our, our Western culture and Western literature. Uh, it shows up in this episode. Claire sees the psychic three times. Uh, Ethan names himself three times, if you can include the last episode where he named himself once and then twice in this one. Uh, beware of the rule of threes. Um, and by the way, Charlie, of course, has uh, control of his drug addiction in the moth after three chance, chances to get his stash back. So the rule of threes, the, the writers here remembering their, their literary rules. Um, anyhow, to kind of quickly refer back to this, this open mystery of the psychic, um, he does, the psychic does specifically put Claire on 815, um, which is suggestive that there isn't a couple. I mean, Claire Claire reaches the conclusion in this episode that there was no couple in Los Angeles. Um, the Flash Sideways does suggest, you know, the Flash Sideways in season six does suggest to some degree that there was indeed a couple to, to meet her. I mean, we, we get to see them uh, in the Flash Sideways. That said, and to be fair, and I'm sure you'll agree, I'm not going to hang my hat on the constructed reality of the Flash Sideways purgatory as proof of anything absolutely happened in the real world of lost um again to me it's just suggestive you know my reading as i said my reading is that the psychic is uh, a real psychic or at least has some psychic abilities uh, i'm not going to say he's this altruistic kindly guy who who always speaks the truth without any sense of uh, of um greed but i see some psychic powers in him and well, as I said, the fact that there's the, the the receiving couple in Los Angeles in the Flash Sideways world is at least suggestive to me that that I might be right. So there you go. Um, speaking, by the way, of the rule of threes, there's the this fantastic rising action. Rising action is the thing in literature that that increases your uh, your tension, leads you towards the climax of the plot. There's this the, the rising action to get us to the climax of the cliffhanger in this episode. You have three instances. Saeed returns, speaking of others. Hurley announces someone wasn't on the flight, and then Ethan appears. And uh, I hope that you're not clip-weary at this point, because there's this final clip, which is the great, the great moment of this episode. So take a listen. We're not alone.
we got a problem. The manifest. Jack. The census. The names of everyone who survived. All 46 of us. I interviewed everyone here at the beach. Got their names. One of them. One of them isn't. Jack. One of them isn't in the manifest. He wasn't on the plane. Hello there. Is this the best cliffhanger in the show? I would argue that it just might be. It's absolutely thrilling to rewatch, knowing that it's going to happen. The way that it is, irregardless to how thrilling it can be to rewatch it. I've seen this episode countless times. Um, but it's just the way that they build that tension, ratchet it up, and then hit you in the face with it, even just standing there. It's a, it's a motionless, largely motionless final scene. Ethan standing there, Charlie just grabs Claire, pulls him a little closer to him, but uh, it's it's uh, tension without action, which is the, the <laughs> in many ways can be the, the most tense kind. It, it's a fantastic cliffhanger. I, I think that what part of what makes it perhaps the best cliffhanger on the show is that it's by and large very self-contained. Now, obviously, you can't have a truly uh, self-contained or easily explained cliffhanger because it's about you know what will happen next. But this is a direct cliffhanger. He's the, he's the mystery man. And he's there for Claire. You know that much. It's not the case of why is there this big giant foot statue or or who are these people or what's down the hatch where it seems to be ending. Uh, mid scene with this, you know he's you know that he is a mystery guy from some other bunch from those people out there. You know that he's there for Claire. Um, th- this cliffhanger depends on what we've seen in plain sight. It's the guy from the last two episodes, and you might misremember and say, "Well, he's been around for a while." He suddenly comes from the shadows and he to be revealed as someone else, and he's there for her. It's not like season three's we have to go back cliffhanger that the end of season three where it's like wait what you need to think this through uh it's not like the intro of the tailies in season two where it's like who are these people are they zombies are they crazies are they others you know, this just you get exactly what it is he's there for her and it's frightening and it's it's uh claustrophobic and <laughs> it makes for a heck of a long seven days until the next episode if you're watching it on original broadcast thank goodness for dvd and netflix streaming um because, quite frankly, uh, um, this podcast will probably be wrapped up in the next five minutes. I'll then uh, you know, do my little bit of uh, editing, make sure it sounds okay. Then I'm going to watch the next episode because I, I can't wait. Um, anyhow, now let's move on to uh, taking a quick peek at Lostpedia to see any bits and pieces that I've missed. Uh, they make an excellent point for this first one. As you know, sometimes I quibble with what Lostpedia says. But here's an excellent one. For some reason... Hurley is not concerned when Sawyer's name doesn't appear on the manifest. However, Locke later points out that the name Sawyer was not on the manifest, but the James was, and asks Sawyer where he got his name from in a, in a later episode. Um, it's, a, it's, it's an excellent point. I think that fair is fair. You can say that this is a mistake that the show has made. Um, now, 
could there be some sort of explanation where Sawyer, the con man, has figured out a way either in discussing with Hurley uh, off camera uh, why there's the name change or you know or or whatever. I mean, there's you you could figure out that if Sawyer could con people out of hundreds of thousands of dollars in a couple days, how he could convince uh, Hurley. Um, that Sawyer was on the plane and is on the flight manifest or something. You can kind of uh, excuse that um, to some degree. But I think that that would be excusing it um, to help out the error of the show, not something that, uh, well, I I think it's an error of the show that this is not brought up, particularly since in this later episode, The Hunting Party, Locke points out that the name Sawyer isn't there. So it's, it's, you know, it is what it is, and I think it is a mistake. Um, Los PD also mentions that Richard Malkin, who's the, uh, the, uh, psychic admits to being a fraud. I've discussed already that I don't fully take him at his word that he's a fraud. Um, uh, there is also the direct, uh, the direct info here that one of Thomas's paintings in the apartment is later seen indeed in Charles Widmore's office in flashes before your eyes. Uh, Lindelof and Q's clarified that there's no character connection. Um, and that it's just Jack Bender's painting. And then here's a really interesting um, really interesting bit from Lostpedia, kind of a behind-the-scenes thing. Jack Bender, executive producer Jack Bender, revealed that the episode's director, Marita Garabak, um, maybe Grabiak, Marita Grabiak, pushed for the opening sequence of Claire's dream to be shot in black and white. Despite politely refusing her suggestion, she kept pushing for it, and he had to overrule her. She would never work on Lost again. Now, two things. First of all, it seems dumb to me that an episode director would um, uh, annoy the executive producers, particularly the the on you know the, the the Hawaiian executive producer, the guy who's the on the ground boots boss of the episode, the one who's directly producing executive producing the directors in Hawaii. That she would. Uh, not recognize that the executive producer is the boss on TV, not the director. Um, and I mean, as here we go, evidence she didn't work on Lost again. Seems like quite a shame to me because you have plenty of directors who return to Lost. Also, it's a bad idea to have Claire's dream be in black and white. It would clearly communicate to us that it is not real. Whereas when she first wakes up, in that um, dream, she's in the cave, and you say, okay, it's on island. And then the ca- the camera pulls back, or she stands up, and you see that there's no tummy, and you say, oh, it's a flashback, but she's in the cave, and is, wait, did she have the baby? Did I watch last week? There's this wonderful moment of confusion, um, and, and you're sitting there saying, well, I, is it maybe it's a dream, and, and then she comes across Locke, and you're saying, oh, well, there's Locke, he's in the show, he's in the on the island, they're in the jungle, well, but he's playing cards, and then it's only when, perhaps when his voice is out of sync, or certainly when he looks up and his eyes are different, you're saying, okay, this is a dream or hallucination or not real, but you've now spent, I don't know, 30 seconds, 60 seconds disoriented, and it's wonderful, and then you're kind of forced into her world and her dream, so... Marita Grabiak, you were wrong, babe. I got news for you. That's just, you know, it was a bad idea. And thank you, Jack Bender, for uh, for correcting her on it. With that, let's look ahead to next week. Next week's episode will be 111, entitled All the Best Cowboys Have Daddy Issues, a Jack episode. I'm looking forward to uh, 
to watching that today. I'm going to watch that one today. Um, a reminder, dear listeners, that uh, new episodes hit the website on Friday, iTunes on Saturday, and the Lost Podcasting Network over the weekend. Um, I continue to uh, just be completely honored to be hearing from fans and listeners, uh, whether they're complimenting me or, or giving suggestions or, uh, or just simply uh, sharing the love of Lost. You can say hello to me on Twitter at twitter.com slash lookingbacklost. You can send an email or record a uh, voice message with your iPhone or iPod Touch and then email that to lookingbackatlost, all spelled out, all one word, lookingbackatlost at gmail.com. You can visit the webpage at lookingbackatlost.podbean.com. Last but not least, you can uh, find me on iTunes by searching for Looking Back at Lost and uh, click off a couple stars, leave a review, download past episodes, etc., Thank you, dear listeners, once again for listening. It's uh, it's always an honor to see the people are continuing to download the show. It's an honor to hear back from people. And um, thank you once again. I will see everybody next week for 111. Uh, all the best cowboys have daddy issues. Thank you, thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Get your falling star and put it in your pocket. Never let it fade I might not know what I'm doing, but I'll figure it out. If I can kick drugs, I can deliver a baby. Let me explain. I'm a drug addict. I, I was a drug addict. I I'm clean now. <laughs>